at what point can you start paying that pharmacy tech, that warehouse worker enough so that you can keep them or, or go grab them? But again, revenues are down. <laughs> and so it's a tough, tough uh, dilemma. And I don't know, uh, other than automation, digitizing things, you know, less hands touching things, you know, when, when are we going to totally get out of this? I'm Adam Polka. And I'm Bill Denby. Together, we'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. We believe that people are the change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. We hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your own organization. This is the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Let's jump in. Everyone, uh, welcome to the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and today I am joined by two fantastic co-hosts, Bill Denby and Corey Turner. How are you, gentlemen? Doing very well, Adam. Looking forward to this episode. I'm really excited to uh, talk to our guest today. Corey, how about you? Doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on as a, as a co-host. Looking forward to the conversation. So today we're gonna to talk about some of the dynamics that are facing healthcare supply chain leaders today. And to do that subject justice, uh, we're welcoming our guest today, Hayes Waldrop. Hayes, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is fantastic. So Hayes, 25 years in the industry, a triplex of councils dedicated to advancing thought leadership in the industry and a really impressive lineup of peer groups. And, and for those who don't already know Hayes, he's the brain trust, the, the wunderkind behind the Institute of Healthcare Executive and Suppliers, the Council of Supply Chain Executives, and the Council of Pharmacy Executives and Suppliers. He's really built up an incredible forum for exchanging ideas and sharing best practices. Hayes, can you give us a little bit of background uh, about what inspired these councils and, and why they're so important? Absolutely. I'd love to. But first, I got to correct you, Adam. No one ever uses my bio and brain in the same sentence. That 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 just didn't work real well. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I've been so fortunate. Again, yeah, 20 plus years in this industry. Um, we started initially with our very first group called IHES. That's our hospital CEO group. Soon thereafter, we started the um, supply chain group, the Council of Supply Chain Executives. And then most recently, about six years ago, we started uh, the pharmacy group. Fantastic group of execs. Uh, basically, what that means and how that works is we we have relationships with those different executives at the CEO level, CEO level supply chain, and pharmacy. We bring them together. Uh, we are an event-based company but we bring those execs together each and every year and we allow companies, suppliers, manufacturers, solution providers to actually come in and meet with them in, in small focus groups. And so we're kind of the middleman that puts all that together and we've been doing it, as you said, for 20 plus years and uh, I love every minute of what I do. Hey, I got uh, a question for you. I find fascinating that you immediately pretty much went to supply chain, which was always the stepchild of, uh, of the clinical setting kind of thing. How did you end up there? I think it's very, uh, very interesting that what is today being seen as a critical aspect of control back then, it really wasn't. And uh, I, just what led you in that direction? You know, that that's a question that uh, early on, I got a lot. Um, now, to your point, you know, I think supply chain has been elevated in not only healthcare, but obviously in every industry. But 
to your point, 18 years ago when I started that group, it was looked at like, why are you going to go in this vertical first? I mean, there are a lot of other verticals I could have expanded into. But probably the real answer is I was talking to a lot of companies about joining and being a part of my CEO group. A lot of those companies didn't need access to the C-suite level. Correct. You know, they might have been a manufacturer of a product or a disposable or something that the C-suite CEOs just didn't understand and really, um, you know, didn't have a lot of understanding around. So my first step was, well, who, who does have access to that knowledge? Who, who do uh, these executives on the on the supplier side want to meet with? And it was supply chain. And, you know, uh, Bill, it's interesting. I try to create a name that can encompass everybody in supply chain. Well, back then, 18 years ago, really supply chain wasn't utilized. It was materials management, uh, chief resource officer, director, you know, all these different names. And But I needed something that got everybody's name. And uh, supply chain, the Council of Supply Chain Executives kind of grabbed them all. And uh, I'm glad I used that because obviously that's kind of the the go-to name now to, you know, to, to discuss the industry. And so, yeah, 18 years ago, it was unique, but now uh, chairman of boards, uh, you name it, they know who their supply chain leaders are in most cases. I mean, Corey, you can attest to this. 18 years ago or even 15 years ago, when I wanted to talk to the supply chain leader in a, in a health system, I was heading to the basement. Guaranteed, I was going into the basement. That was a surefire that's thing. Exact, that's exactly yeah. right. Supply chain grew up at the, you know, on the loading dock near the morgue at the back. Hey, so you being able to <laughs> kind of elevate their status and, and kind of help that along has been a big endeavor. Um, you know, when we talk about these councils, collaboration is, is kind of the key element to all of it. And when we're co- collaborating with peers uh, within our industry, within our network, you know, from across the country, all different sizes of IDNs, you know, bringing those different perspectives together on common issues. You know, in most industries, there'd be more of a uh, collaboration versus competition aspect. What's so different about, you know, this supply chain council that really takes that element out of the equation? That's a good question. But, you know, as, as you know, you've always heard that old saying, you know, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital, right? Well, I think that is so true because each market in healthcare is very unique. And so many there, you know, of course, we do have national brands, national, you know, chains of ascension and HCA and some of those massive assistance, but there's still so much regional uh, healthcare and they end up getting siloed in their own markets many, many times. And if in Greenville or if in, you know, Atlanta or wherever, Topeka to Tallahassee, they know what they know in their markets. They don't necessarily, they're not being introduced to new ideas or not being, they're not seeing different things or hearing about what's going on in other markets. And I think that's kind of the value of ultimately what we bring together is that we're going to have a guy from Tallahassee, a guy from Topeka and a guy from Detroit, all in the same rooms together sharing ideas, learning from each other, talking about best practices, talking about lessons learned. And it's it's phenomenal to listen to the discussion. And so they do learn a lot. And again, because I think silos of healthcare is, is as relevant today as it always been, unfortunately. Do you find that your members uh, tend to, to uh, group together into certain stratifications? You know, when we were dealing with, uh, with healthcare organizations, we tend to see the very large healthcare organizations working through their problems quite separately in different ways to the, 
you know, regional hospitals or that kind of thing. Do your members tend to tend to uh, tend to separate into uh, into teams, kind of thing of uh, of like like organizations? Do you find a lot of cross pollination in those uh, in those meetings? Well, that's a really good question because early on, you know, you my initial reaction was I wanted the the largest IDN you know, executives I could possibly get. But what I learned really quickly was, regardless if we're talking about CEOs, we're talking about supply chain or pharmacy, it doesn't matter. The larger they are, the less they understand what's going on underneath them. Uh, they're more disconnected. And so with that being said, I wanted, I purposely went out to find different uh, sizes, shapes, you know, for-profit, not-for-profit, regional, single site, large. And the cool thing about it is the way our model's set up. When we, uh, we, we throw everybody together, like for instance, we would put a company, a large capital equipment company in a room, like a focus group with five, six, seven different executives. In that room could be a very large national IDN. It could be a regional, could be a single site. It could be whatever. And they're all learning from each other. Uh, because again, you know, if you're a single site guy who's got 300 beds and who's busy as can be, but guess what? He's learning from the guy above him that's got 25 hospitals or flip or the, or the reverse. It's just dependent. And that's part of our, you know, doing the cross-pollination. Like you said, that's what's important to what uh, to the model. They all learn from each other and there's something can be learned from everybody. So let's shift gears. Um, let's actually talk about the problems that you're hearing uh, around supply chain. Now, You've got a lot of supply chain practitioners in a lot of areas in the country, and there's been a lot of turmoil over the last, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months. And it's not over, obviously. But what are you hearing now as being the number one uh, major factor that uh, is is top of mind for these executives when it comes to uh, to problems they need to solve and uh, where are they where are they focusing their attention? Yeah, you know. I was just talking to a couple uh, yesterday, um, and I would say top of mind on all of them uh, on the supply chain side is is staffing is you know people. It's you know it's a workforce problem, and in fact, I would tell you, Bill, that uh, in my conversations with my CEO group and uh, the pharmacy group, all of them are having tremendous workforce issues, and I mean to the point where that you know they've. They're getting stuff to the dock, getting stuff to the warehouse, and they cannot get it moved because there's nobody there to do it. And uh, we've got people that are working out of their title sets. You know, like in, in the pharmacy, you've literally got pharmacists doing, you know, uh, pharmacy tech jobs or whatever. I mean, or in supply chain, you've got, you know, a good leader. If he sees if he sees a need, he'll just go do it. And that's where they're all working out of what they have to do. You know, they, they show up when they have to do it. But workforce is their number one issue that I hear constantly. Obviously, there's others. There's backorders issues and those things. But I think just not having people there to do the job is number one. And the second thing is, I think, um, you know, we've all dealt with this, is being, you know, uh, work for a home and being just not in one place. Uh, culture. Uh, I think that's a difficult thing. I mean, obviously, supply chain in in many cases, in order to literally move a product from A to B, you got to be there in person, obviously. 
but so many of the back office, or I wouldn't say back office, but so many that you know the the people that are doing sourcing, all those other things, they're still many of them are still working from home, and so I think that creates a whole nother issue. They've gotten better at it, obviously. I think we all have, but I think you know those things are they're just going to be around, and people don't want to come back to work uh, in a in a building you know five six seven days a week either. We got to figure out what our new normal is, right? Mm-hmm. From the uh, from the labor perspective, uh, Hayes, are you hearing anything around trends to set to to address these labor problems? Uh, we see a lot of interest on automation in the warehouse, or you know, finding ways of making your labor more efficient. Uh, all kinds of things that would never have been looked at a few years ago now are starting to be like become very appetizing to some of these organizations. Anything that, uh, any trends there that you're hearing about? Well, automation has definitely, I think, bubbled up more to your point, Bill. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of the guys down in Texas recently, a uh, large, large uh, system, and clearly they're they're exploring every automation possibility they can do uh, because, you know, obviously automation can run 24 seven and all kinds of things, uh, ultimately can lower their costs. He was also considering, um, in his uh, warehouse system, working on a whole drone delivery piece as well. So, I mean, it's coming. I do think, you know, it's, we're still a ways away. I think, you know, like a drone strategy and some of these warehouse strategies depend on where you are in the country, you know, location, uh, to your, all your sites, but I mean, they are struggling, um, and you know, the other, it just trying to hire the right person. Uh, for instance, on the pharmacy tech side, which we're not really talking about, but pharmacy techs are like, you know, they're like the, they're the every they're, every system has hundreds of them, many cases, and they're the lowest on the on the food chain as far as pay, and they're finding a lot of these systems are they're losing these folks who. Or literally, they interface with patients. They interface in you know changing meds out and delivering meds. All those things, they're losing them to fast food, and because they're paying equally or more, and they don't have to glove and gown, and they have more flexibility. And you're thinking, how do I compete with that? And a lot of times, the systems, and this goes to supply chain too. If you've got somebody in the warehouse, on the dock, on delivery, all those things. You know, they can go to work at Amazon, UPS, or one of these other fantastic, great companies and likely make more. And uh, so how do you, and mm-hmm. you know, and there's a point where the health system, I mean, I feel for their pain because on the CEO side, and Bill, it just kind of goes back to the ultimate question is, you know, top line revenue in many cases is lower because they're not doing as many surgeries because they're, they don't have the workforce to staff 200 beds. They're only staffing 170 beds. Well, so, you know, that's down, but meanwhile, their labor spend is up dramatically and, you know, and they, their whole issue is when's it going to come down? You know, if we start paying, particularly with travelers, nurses and all these others, they're paying, I mean, literally their, their nurses getting paid 150, $175 an hour. And that's ridiculously a lot of money. And so at what point can you start paying that pharmacy tech, that warehouse worker enough so that you can keep them or, or go grab them? But again, revenues are down. <laughs> and so it's a tough, tough 
uh, dilemma. And I don't know, uh, other than automation, digitizing things, you know, less hands touching things, you know, when, when we're going to totally get out of this. Yeah, I'm sure that you're probably probably seeing um, more talk from some of the supply chain leaders that may have come from outside of the industry. You know, some of these guys have have a background in, you know, manufacturing or things of that nature. So those guys are really bringing a different lens to look through, right? Yeah. Uh, in my conversation just yesterday, um, and I won't bring his name up, but he's well known and he just got a great new job. But he has a background uh, he started in the industry, in the implant side, went to the GPO side. Now he's running a, a, a system um, as a supply chain executive. And one thing that he kept on talking about was he wanted complete transparency from all the way from the manufacturer to literally his dock. And obviously, you know, there's been a reticent for decades that companies don't want to share you know their manufacturing times, where the raw materials come from, when it's getting here, when it's on the on the ship, when it. They don't want to share some of that stuff, but that is where I think ultimately, to have a true end-to-end solution, that's where we've got to be, uh, and there's going to have to be. Um, but I mean, I think that goes both ways. They're going to have to, you know, for a company be willing to kind of show all that information. You know, you're going to have to have. Uh, they're going to say, well, I need guaranteed market share. I need this or that. I mean, there's going to be a lot of give or take. But I do think um, that's where we've got to go to truly make this efficient and lower our cost. Well, we got to look at it from a, a bigger view and get out of our get out of our little world. Yeah, just following up on that, and I think this is this is a really good uh, direction to talk about because we go out into into health systems and we talk to them. And supply chain are all talking about self-distribution. They're talking about forecasting, effective forecasting, talking about um, bulk purchase, uh, standardization, all these kind of things. And yet, when we talk to pharmacy, it's a very different conversation. It's a very different type of conversation as regards their adoption of best practices around supply chain and how... um, how much of that journey they're willing to go down. Why do you think there's that misalignment between uh, the practices adopted in pharmacy versus the practices that are being adopted in, in supply chain when it comes? Because pharmacy is really at its embryonic point with those kind of uh, ideas, right? That's a good question, too. And I would think uh, the way I would answer that, and the, what I think is probably what's driving that difference is it's so clinical. I mean, we're, we're literally talking about things we're putting in patients, right? And, you know, it, it goes to the doc, to the pharmacist. I mean, we're really, really, you know, they're really concerned about that drug, that, you know, that whatever it is. Meanwhile, on supply chain, it could be a drape, it could be a gown, it could be a bed. It, it's important, but it's not going into patients. And I think they just... You know, the docs are going to be really, really, really careful about how all that those drugs are delivered. The dosage, they don't want to do change orders on that. I mean, they're just, they're really, really reticent about touching anything clinical. And I think also supply chain and, you know, on leadership as well, doesn't want to push back on that at all. They'll push back on, you know, the beds. They'll push back on, you know, commodities. Because that you know ultimately it impacts it, but it's not number one. But when you start talking about medication, uh, drugs, I mean, we're talking you know it literally it, it's the difference. And so I think that's where you get into that problem. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Well, we work with we work with different areas within um, within a hospital, and some of that clinical I'm going to call it clinical pushback uh, within the periop space is not uncommon. Uh, and where where we find we have the most fruitful conversations are those where uh, you've got clinical at the table, you've got supply chain at the table, and they're they're willing to sit there together and find that common ground. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about right at the beginning around collaboration, where when there's a mindset of collaboration, you can start working on uh, initiatives that actually satisfy both requirements. And at the end of the day, what seems to be an effective mechanism for those conversations is data. And when supply chain brings data and when clinical is uh, sees that data and believes in that data because they they can rely on on that data they can start to have uh, those conversations about how to move in the right direction uh, I, I'm wondering I'm wondering if if that same kind of formula makes sense in pharmacy or is there a bigger disparity between the two well I mean I think um, I like the point and I like where you're going because I do think the really uh, advanced systems, advanced hospitals do have good data and utilize it well. And it could be through the P&T committees. It could be used in the value analysis committees, those different areas to convince, uh, to promote uh, different products, services, whatever it is. And um, so I was talking to the University of Kansas last week, and they have done a really good job uh, using data and using their, their own docs to help uh, present a new, you know, again, whatever it could be, a new implant, it could be a new bed, it could be whatever it is, but incorporating their physicians in those decisions. But it all goes back, physicians want to see data. You're exactly right. You know, what does this chart, look at me compared to this guy or this gal, you know, am, you know, am I getting them in and out better? Are my outcomes, you know, better? Uh, and what's the cost of my procedures compared to his? Um, so yeah, data is, I mean, data is king. I mean, it is. And, but so many different systems ha are just now, I think in the last probably three or four years, getting good data that they can actually have, they can, you know, create action on it. How do you see us moving forward? I guess, cause you, you, like I said, with these three councils, you're kind of seeing things in three different perspectives from the, the C-suite to pharmacy to supply chain. And, you know, talking about this data conversation, you know, all three are reliant on data, whether it's from the CFO to the COO down to the supply chain managers on the floor to pharmacy, looking at patient information. How do we get to a point to where, you know, healthcare, and the healthcare industry as a whole adopts some sort of data standardization. You know, we talk about standardization and supply chain, and that's been a huge topic for years. And that's brought in value analysis. That's brought mm -hmm. in a lot of different groups. But we don't never, you don't never hear a whole lot of people talking about data standardization um, in the healthcare industry as a whole. How do how do we get to that point? And is it important? I mean, how do we how do we quantify that data as to being, you know, enough for us to make some true changes. I mean, Corey, literally going back 18 years, some of the very first conversations we've ever had in our group was trying to get standards. And I mean, we brought in all kinds of folks from, I mean, you name it, all the big systems and every one of them 
I need standards, you know, because this, I don't know what I'm looking at and all these different things. And it's still to this day, I don't think it's improved literally at all. Um, and so, and cause again, kind of going back to the point of, if, if, if a, if a big system wants end to end transparency, you've got to have those standards in place to know what you're looking at. And I wish it would be, uh, I think it would clean up everything. I think we could probably, they could do so much more demand forecasting so much better. It'd be good on pricing. I mean, it, it would help everything outcomes. Cause no, you're looking at apples to apples, and so that is absolutely, I think, one of the biggest issues. I mean, again, I'm going back 18, 19 years, and it's it, to this day, it's still a problem. And, and obviously, I, unless you get a, I mean, uh, maybe the GPOs could come, come together somehow and create some standards, which would be very difficult to do. You know, do you want the government trying to create standards? I, I don't know. That, you know, that might not work. So, there's a lot of problems there, and I don't know. I mean, it's just to me that's the literally the sixty-four billion dollar question, maybe trillion dollar question. Yeah, well, some of the things that you know, just recently been reading in the the news and you know articles and such as that is, and, and we know like when we talk about automotive, especially automotive and manufacturing, those guys know exactly where their raw materials are. They know where their suppliers are. They they own them for for lack of a better term because you know a lot of these large especially in the automotive industry, if, if they need a part, they know who to go to and they knew, they know where that lies. Healthcare doesn't do that, but I have seen, you know, there's a couple of, uh, healthcare industries that are kind of dipping their toes into this, you know, I need to own portion of a manufacturer. I need to try to get more involved with my, my manufacturers. And that's, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about before that, that, end-to-end visibility, the data across the entire spectrum from manufacturer to patient. Do you think that's got any traction? Do you think that's where hospitals are going to start going is dipping into that manufacturing world for their supplies and kind of owning the market? To me, if I'm big enough, that does make sense. Um, You know, obviously, yeah, or, you know, I can drive enough utilization, you know, it depends on the product and, you know, but if I'm only a single site, that's not going to be, you know, it doesn't make sense. But if I've got, you know, if I'm a large national chain and I've got, you know, say 60, 80, 100 hospitals, I mean, why not own or partially own, invest in a, you know, PP manufacturer or whatever it could be, uh, totally makes sense. And maybe an offshoot of that, it's, uh, I had one of my guys bring this up and I thought it was an interesting, you know, I've never been there. Y'all probably have, but in Bentonville, Arkansas with around Walmart, you know, obviously there's a massive facility there, but are built all around that are all the different companies who service, uh, Walmart. Right. And, uh, you know, apparently there's just dozens and dozens of maybe more hundreds. I don't know. But they were one of my guys was going, he goes, I want to build a warehouse uh, facility that I have locations inside my facility. All my manufacturers have have their own slots, if you will. I want them to I want them to source and put their product under my roof. And it's kind of the same concept. That you know we're big enough here, and we're using this um, you know centralized distribution center. I want all my whatever you sell. I want it in here, and I want you to you be a, you're part of this. 
Um, and I think for the big places, I think that that can work rather than, I mean, obviously we have large distributors that are kind of doing that, but this was a, a single, I mean, a large system saying, I want to do this. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things we heard in the pandemic, and yes, we have gotten to this point in the conversation without talking about the pandemic, but I'm going to bring it up, was the whole thing about PPE. And we got a great quote from one of our customers at a very large health system, which was, there was never a shortage of PPE. There was a shortage of visibility and data about where the PPE was. It was never actually product. It was always about finding it and making sure it was distributed properly. And, um, and I think that what you're talking about here is these health systems becoming more industrial in the management of their supply chain and becoming more like automotive or whatever. I think that's leading down that path to taking full control over their supply chain to give them real visibility of everything in, the, in, in their path. And I think that you make a good point. I think, I think it's definitely a trend that we're going to see much more of. Um, because uh, if, if, the, uh, if, if we've learned nothing out of the last couple of years, the one thing we have learned is you better be able to take care of your own destiny because the, uh, the health systems that we're relying upon a, on a distributor to, to do some of these things, they, they didn't fare so well. Um, so are you seeing a lot of shift away from that, um, uh, that model where they, where the supply chain is relying on a, on a distribution partner and starting to take much more control of their supply chain? I mean, even the most sophisticated supply chains in the world, the Amazons, although they had issues, you know, during COVID obviously. And what I think the misnomer so many people thought is, oh, I've got three different manufacturers of you know, gowns, let's just say. Well, the problem is, yeah, you had three different manufacturers, but all the raw materials came from like one city in in China, right? And so they all were just, you know, clamoring literally for the exact same product. It just, it, it was just branded differently uh, by the time it got over here. And so, you know, supplier diversity doesn't solve the problem uh, if they're all coming from the same area. And so they've got to be more creative. They've got to do more warehousing. They got to. I mean, you just don't want, I mean, because, you know, particularly now that we know this has happened, I mean, it, it did, I mean, it certainly caught me off guard. I mean, that's that's kind of a no-brainer, but it caught a lot of these people off guard, thinking that they could always pull it out from some other place. But this thing hit so fast so far that they couldn't find it, the product. So, yes, I think clearly, Bill, that they, they're ramping up PAR levels, and um, you know they're gonna have to get they're gonna have to be pretty good so they don't have ex- expiration of, of product and stuff. But um, they, they're definitely got to go that way, I think. Well, it's the saline shortage all over again in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. um, and and I wonder, did we learn our lesson? Is eighty percent of the saline still produced right there in Puerto Rico? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that came up uh, about probably, what, three or four years ago at our supply chain meeting, and several of the large, large, large folks in there were actively going, uh, sending people to other countries trying to purchase and or invest in other alternatives. And so it kind of goes back to our earlier discussion. Um, They were actively trying to do that. I don't think they ever did, but I know that they sent teams down to look. 
And Puerto Rico, obviously, you know, they are a massive supplier, obviously, on our pharmaceutical business. And, you know, they're right in the hurricane kind of alley. And so that is something we've got to get better at. I mean, but it's, you know, I think we all have a short memory. I had one of my guys say, yeah, today, you know, yeah, we're very concerned about, you know, not having just in time. We want enough. But guess what? You know, okay, so we're going to start negotiating and having a a U.S.-based manufacturer. But he's 20% more. Well, yeah, but he's 20% more, but I can always get my product. But where's he getting his, his, you know, his materials from, number one? Number two, guess what? All of a sudden, I've got, you know, a, you know my CFO's looking at me going, why are we spending so much on product now? And so what do they do? They go back to the low-hanging fruit <laughs> and go back to a lower, cheaper product, and now we start all over. Now, you know, I think the good ones are going to be – um, you know, they're going to be very, very focused on, you know, keeping a mix. But, you know, one of the largest IDNs in the world, uh, they're building a massive facility. I think it's in Florida. We're adding on to one. And they're going to, the goal was, I think, to have nine months. I think it was nine months of supply of PPE. And he said, we'll never, ever want uh, for PPE again. Uh, that's the quote I was told. So, I mean, they're definitely trying to look at it differently. But I, I I'm hesitant to say it's here forever. I think they're going to, you know, again, margins are thin. And, you know, they got to, and some of these guys are running negative margins. So they're going to start at some point, they're going to cut back and they're going to start trying to go back to that cheaper cost manufacturer, product, supplier. Before we sign off, I want to just give you the floor to highlight what you see as your uh, top focus areas for healthcare supply chain leaders. You know, we talked about data standards and labor and cross-departmental collaboration, automation, visibility, diversification. What do you see, say, in the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, what What's creeping into the realm of urgency? I think all those and just more. I mean, I think at that point, pressure, Adam. I mean, I think these, uh, these execs are going to be, just as we just mentioned in the last response, was that, you know, it's all good right now because in the in the in the form of that, it's all good that they, they can spend more money, they can warehouse more, but all of a sudden in the next eighteen months, if hopefully God willing that all this is behind us and we have some sense of normalcy, their pressure is going to be, hey, you're way we're spending way too much money that we've never spent before. You got to get this way down, and now they've got extra real estate, they've got extra product. They're paying more for American manufacturers. I think the 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 pressure will ramp up on them, um, and I think that's what they're going to be looking at for the next eighteen months, twenty four months. But you know, they're going to have to look at new strategies in order to do that. And it could be, you know, how they how they do it. But right, I think right. that's I right. think that's the, the issue. I think you nailed it really well. Uh, hey, is I would be uh, remiss not to uh, give your podcast, Power Supply, a shout out. Uh, fantastic collection of conversations between uh, all kinds of industry stakeholders. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, make sure to check it out. Uh, and Hayes, thank you for your thoughts, your insights. It's truly a privilege. Um, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast for, for Texas. I'm Adam Polka. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for joining us. We hope that our guests have sparked some new ideas for you and inspire you to push the boundaries for your supply chain operation. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. And in the meantime, please reach out. 
We want to know your thoughts about our guests, the topics we covered, and any ideas you might have for future episodes. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Let us know if you'd be willing to join us and perhaps share your perspective as supply chain experts. And please share us with a colleague and leave us a review. We appreciate your feedback as we continue to evolve the show and line up new compelling interviews. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka with Texas. And I'm Bill Denby. And thank you for tuning in.